have arrived. For those who are new to this, we have our annual global missions conference where we have over 25 organizations and uh, missionaries represented here sharing with us uh, my favorite event that we do all year long and something we have a whole team that dedicates their time towards. So uh, first up, we're going to be hearing an update from a great friend of ours um, who helps train pastors, plant churches, build churches, and all around uh, just laid down for the cause of Christ. So would you guys welcome up uh, Stephen Napier. All right. Thanks so much, Drew, and, and for your whole team and putting this on. Man, I got to tell you, we consider it a privilege and honor to be back here on this weekend with you guys. Thank you so much. I uh, want to share a little bit about our work, what we do. I don't know if there's some slides over that. Uh, basically, to remind you of who we are and what we do, uh, keep this in mind. There's over 8 billion people on this planet, and today... Close to 30% of those, about 28, 29% of those live in an unreached people group, which means because of geography, because of politics or, or both, a myriad of reasons, we have people that are cut off from a visible access of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so our family's passion and vision is to see a church planted tomorrow where one does not exist today. And what does that look like for us? Next slide. You'll see mainly it looks like targeting unreached people group tribes, and we have a line pretty much from uh, the Middle East down to Mozambique, working about eight different locations targeting very specific unreached tribe, primarily Muslim groups. How do we do that primarily? It's through pastoral training. You see in our next one. Um, basically, if you have an unreached people group, our desire is we go to the closest we can get to among a reached people group and we plant pastoral training schools for the express purpose of training up an army of people to take into that unreached people group. It does a couple of things. Once, one, it allows us two to three years of pastoral training at multiple locations on both sides of the Sahara Desert, both Muslim and animistic tribes. But also it allows our family to be working, targeting into multiple unreached people groups in multiple countries simultaneously. This year we have three new campuses opening up in three new locations locations, and in two years, that'll be three new unreached people groups. Um, but as over the years, as you guys have been partners with us and prayed for us, in addition to the pastoral training and church planning, every time a church is, is planted in these locations, um, it becomes a holistic center of the, of the outreach of the love of Jesus Christ, because we are mainly in conflict zones, refugee camps, and in those areas. So I want to show you just a few of the areas, like wells being dug, and it's a, it's a great way to do it when we dig wells. Obviously, there's a huge need for wells being dug. But partners like you help us get the materials there, but we use the Christian tribes, their enemy tribes. Historically, they were allowed contact between these tribes to go in, and they're the ones who dig the wells. And it's beautiful over the years, the relationships we have seen as those from the enemy tribe come in to dig their wells. What's next? Expansion of prison ministries. We've really expanded prison ministries this year, um, especially in our women's prisons. Some of you might remember that in East Africa, in the prison system, especially in the women's uh, prison, there's a certain way they work with a family unit, which means basically if you have a child, if you're pregnant going in, you give birth in jail, you raise your child in jail, and the child's five, six years old has never seen anything outside of a jail cell. So through our partnership with our churches, uh, seeing a lot new, we're building schools inside the prisons now, got a new one being built right now this week, and seeing that expansion. What's next? Um, vocational schools, right now one of the most uh, powerful ministries we have among our hardcore fundamentalist Muslim tribes are our godly women who are amazing seamstress. Um, it started a few years back when one of the kings we were trying to get into, one of the kings called me and said, Allah came to him in a vision, told me that I was coming and that he had to work with me, even though he didn't like me. And basically it started us opening up vocational schools across the swath of Muslim land. And we have just seen that area open up to where there's football, soccer for you Americans, football ministries, and all kinds of different vocational ministries as the entry points into these pure Muslim tribes. What's next? Uh, refugee relief, of course, where we're at. Um, if you look at refugees around the world right now, our zone is the second largest refugee area in the world. So massive refugee, which goes into the next picture, which is our heavy emphasis on widow and orphan ministry. And here's why. Um, in, in our primary area right now, crossing the border out of the war zone into our zone, it's about 82 to 85 percent women and children. The men simply are either fighting or they're dead. So we're finding they're coming across, and the women that are coming across are predominantly widows, and they're carrying whatever children they found along the way with them. So right now, with our widows ministry, our average widow is age 29. 
okay? 20 to 33, and they usually have between 10 and 20 children because it's their kids plus all the different kids they found along the way. So in our widow's ministry, we're talking about 30-year-olds who have lost everything, running for their life, and they've got 15 kids to care for. Um, and so these new church plants have a heavy part in their lives. Next, what else do we have up here? Bible literacy distribution. Next, let's go up to the, above the Sahara Desert. What's the next one here? Uh, Church-operated schools along the Sudan area. Um, and then next into the Arab work. Uh, we can't show you a lot. We don't advertise a lot of what we do in that region. But I gotta tell you, it's been a fantastic year of, of partnering, holding the hands, equipping, encouraging, loving, counseling, Pastors who serve in really, really difficult circumstances, uh, really challenging circumstances, and we have people just disappear, they're beat, they're, they're running for their lives. Um, but here's what that's also transpired into the last couple of years is, as several of our pastors on our teams have got kicked out for planting too many churches among their own people, they've ended up in America, and this next picture shows you we also have a group of our Arab pastors here in America now. Because right now, from all these closed Muslim countries we've been praying for for these decades, well now by the hundreds of thousands, they're in our major U.S. cities. And so we now have over 20 pastors that were trained, went through horrible things in the Middle East. Now they're here and part of your partnership with us is helping them establish Arabic-based churches within all these communities. Uh, it's just God has brought what we've been praying for to our doorstep. What a privilege we have of reaching that people group. But the purpose is what? Next one. Purpose is what? To see people call on Jesus Christ their Savior. Sometimes it can be open. Next picture, sometimes it has to be a little more hidden where that happens. But the reality is, is training these pastors, training local natives to plant churches, the fruit, and be able to reach multiple places simultaneously. Uh, in a nutshell, once again, it's to see a church planted tomorrow where one does not exist today. Let me lose my last minute to give you an example. Let me walk through um, our latest. It takes us about two and a half years before we let our students actually go field work, and here's why. Because we assume where we're going is going to be very antagonistic. We assume it'll be the first time they've heard the gospel presented. We assume there will always be people respond to the gospel because the Holy Spirit's alive and working. We assume that there will be great antagonism once people start responding to Jesus Christ. And we assume that within three months, there'll be a local church in every village we're at. So because of that, our guys stay with us for two to three years. Here's our school in northern Mozambique. If you know much about northern Mozambique, um, El Shabaab took over a whole swath of land there a while ago. We're working more where Islam and animism kind of meets up together. These guys are going out. Next picture you can see going out with these guys going up and down the river. First time sharing the gospel in these locations. I'm telling you there's always people ready to respond to the gospel. But here's the joy of doing it with this method is that we always have our guys who are near tribe people. Similar language, similar dress, similar uh, eating patterns. The life is so similar and right there when someone responds to Christ immediately right there we have someone set up for the discipleship to take place where once, twice a week they're already coming back. What does that mean? That means usually, next picture, that means usually within a few months we already have a local church in these unchurched areas. And then I think I got one more, just this is a few weeks ago. Um, there's no greater joy you can have than preaching at a church where it's all new believers. Um, such excitement. Well, yet that's what you guys are partnering with us to make happen all up and down that swath of land in these unreached tribes. Um, we have our goal this year was to plant three new schools this year. Two of them have been planted. One, again, the coup in Sudan threw us off a little bit, so that's still an extension site, but, um, but eight locations across about nine countries. Uh, we just are so thankful for you guys. If you, if you don't get our prayer letters, I encourage you to come to our table and sign up. We don't do much online because of where we work, because here's what I ask. I mean, what we do can't be done with a million dollars. Not that I'm going to turn down a million dollars. But what we do can't be done with a million dollars. With something supernatural. These doors that have to be open of where we're going. And we cherish, we plead, we beg for a group this size of believers to be on your knees praying for our family, but especially praying for these amazing native pastors that we serve. Breaching into these unreached groups so we can see a church planted tomorrow where one doesn't exist today. Thanks so much. Thanks, Drew. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Um, one thing I, I appreciate about the Napiers is um, in missions, you can 
put yourself in a position where while you are serving the needy, while you're training, you can create a system that's actually dependent on your continued leadership, your continued funding, uh, and on. And the Napiers do a fantastic job equipping and releasing those they train to be fully competent uh, and able and the courage uh, really supernaturally to say yes and go somewhere that, like he said, they assume, and this is proved to be true, they go somewhere where there is a need for the gospel, people respond to the gospel, and there is some persecution, at least, if not more. And so um, thank you guys for your um, diligence, uh, for your consistency, and for protecting the work that you do. Why don't you guys give them a hand one more time? Peter, why don't you uh, go ahead and head on up. Um, our next spotlight that we have for you is, um, he's actually gonna run us through a little exercise, I think, maybe to pronounce it right, but it's Peter Bastka. Does that sound right? I, is that close enough? Am I getting there? Um, he's with MARC. Why don't you guys give him a warm welcome? Good, good morning. I respond to anything that starts with the letter B and is two syllables long. Uh, Bastke is how I pronounce my last name. Uh, when I was eight years old, my grandmother gave me a book to read, and it was called Jungle Pilot. And it was a story of a missionary pilot who, together with four friends, went to Ecuador uh, to try to reach an unreached remote tribe that was known to be violent. They were known as the Alka Indians, and their goal was to reach this tribe. They needed an aircraft to get there just because of uh, the village did not have access. It was in a remote part of Ecuador. In the process of them trying to bring the gospel there, they were all killed. They were all martyred. So I read that book when I was eight years old and decided that's what I wanted to do. Uh, not be martyred, but per se, but, but I was just fascinated with this idea of using aircraft to reach remote people, to use aircraft as a tool. And so that became a major part of my life's purpose. I went to school, I got my ANP, my air airframe and power plant license as a mechanic. I became a pilot, I got that experience, and then uh, my wife and I, we, we served in different ministries around the world uh, in mission aviation. So there's something just I'm very passionate about, seeing aviation as a tool to overcome obstacles so that people can uh, get the gospel. Now here in Alaska, we have 230 villages off the road system that are dependent on aviation for their livelihood. So this is a very target-rich environment for a person like myself that has a passion to use aircraft. And so that is what we do at MARC. At MARC, Mission Aviation Repair Center, based in Soldatna, we have seven aircraft and we have 20 staff who are mostly aviators who are using these planes to get to these remote communities so that the gospel can have an impact. When I look around here, there's multiple ministries that we fly for, Carry the Cure, CEF. Uh, we fly for Alaska Bible Institute occasionally. Um, Send North, uh, Arctic Barnabas, we've done some trips for. So a lot of these ministries are ones that we, we partner with. This morning I'd like to read a passage of scripture, one of my favorite passages actually. And if there are certain passages that I wish I could have been there, I wish I could have seen the dialogue, the discussion, how the idea materialized in the first place, this is one of those passages. So if you have a Bible, if you could swipe with me, um, or turn with me to Mark 2, chapter 1 through 12. And the scenario starts where Jesus has been traveling. He's been doing some miracles. Now he's come to Capernaum. Uh, there on the Sea of Galilee, an area that he's kind of based himself. This may have been uh, the Apostle Peter's house. He's tended to, tended to stay there. But he's there. People have heard he's there. People are coming. They want to hear him speak. They want to see him heal. So chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could no longer get near him because the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
and immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise up, take your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. And they rose, and immediately picking up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, why, uh, we have never, we never saw anything like this. An incredible story. I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have seen that. When you think about this, this time here, Jesus speaking there, this group of four men caring about their friend, their buddy, who's paralyzed, and they just are desperate for him to get to Jesus. With four men carrying somebody, they probably had a bit of a journey to, to go. Um, the fact that they arrived late, it was already filled, the whole place, they, they probably had this journey uh, to get him there in their eagerness, their desperation, their passion to see their buddy get, get uh, to, to Jesus with the potential of being healed. Now they come up to the building and there's an obstacle, there's crowds, there's an obstacle that has to be overcome. And they stopped because they couldn't get in. And one of them had this idea, I know, let's climb up on the roof and let's start disassembling the roof. That would have been fascinating to hear that conversation take place. Probably one of the group was, was maybe OSHA, safety inspector, a little more cautious and probably saying, you know, uh, let's think this through. The debris is going to fall down. Uh, I don't know if that's safe. It's pretty high. You know, another person, he probably was the muscle in the group, in this group. And he said, you know, I can make this happen. I'll lift him up to the first stage and then we can pull him up. You know, and then the safety guy says, no, you know, that's probably not, that's, that's, that's not going to be good. And then another guy, he was the resource guy. He could make this happen as far as, I know where there's some rope. I have some money to get some extra rope. And he was the resource guy trying to make this happen. The leader of the group, like, yeah, we can totally do this. We can make this happen. And just seeing that conversation take place for this crazy idea to climb up on the roof and lower this guy down. Now, as I shared, I'm a mission aviator. And in my mind, this passage right here is speaking specifically to mission aviation, maybe, in, in a sense. But overcoming obstacles, working together, how can we make this happen? Resources that we need, a safety manager like putting limits on it. Let's think this through. Let's, let's be careful with this. Let me check the ropes and make sure they're safe. You know, the visionary like, let's do it. We can overcome it. We can, we can make it happen. But in a sense, we're all working together to bring people to the feet of Jesus so that he can do his miraculous work and change their lives. And in a sense, that's what mission aviation is, just overcoming obstacles, working together. Your church is part of that team, praying, making sure resources come our way, making sure it happens to overcome that. So thank you for your part that you play, being one of those four people that make it possible to overcome obstacles to help people get to the feet of Jesus so that he can do his miraculous work. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Something I always enjoy. Um, we've we've actually had Peter share uh, during our evening events the last few years. Sure. Either the dessert night or the banquet. Uh, and so we wanted to get them in front of you guys because not all of you are able to make those events um, to share about MARC. Um, I'm always compelled when Peter shares because it makes the yes to the mission that God has invited us to doable yeah. and also makes it accessible for who I am with my passions and my skills. And I always get that from him, right? Yeah. That this sense that, yeah, I probably am never going to fly a plane, but there's many ways that we engage with that. So uh, thank you so much, Peter, for sharing. Um, he's actually here this year with uh, not only his wife, Sarah, but also their four boys are here. So you guys should, after the service, make the rounds, meet their kids. It's fun to have them here. So thanks for coming as a family down this time. I appreciate it. Yeah. There's a verse about that. How, how will they hear unless someone tells them? And how will they tell them unless someone flies them? That's right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. At least that's how he reads it. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so let's talk about the conference real quick. Yep. Uh, your part first or my part first? You go for it. Okay, I'll do my part first. Uh, so one of the things, one of the goals of our time together this weekend, which is this morning, tonight, and tomorrow, is to connect our church with uh, the many uh, amazing works that are happening both uh, in our community, uh, in our state, and around the world. Yeah. Um, there is such 
a, a joy and such a blessing in becoming a meaningful part of a work that is happening in a distant place. Um, and so we want to do our part. We want to be faithful to help bridge uh, those connections between missionary and uh, mm -hmm. church member. Um, but one of the things that we do uh, at this conference every year is that we celebrate generosity. Mm -hmm. And the way that we do that is we ask that you would uh, either on a physical card or several physical cards, or you can do this through uh, Church Center on the app, mm -hmm. that you would indicate two things. One is any giving to missions and outreach that you're going to do this weekend and any giving that you plan to do over the coming year. And then what we do is we compile that number and then we celebrate giving at the banquet on Monday night. Yep. So you might be planning to give to an organization that's not represented here. It might be one that you're already giving to. Mm -hmm. If you want to let us know about that giving, uh, we want to include that in our overall mm -hmm. number. And I'll tell you why. Um, you guys all know the passage about how when you give, do so in secret. You remember that one? Yes. Yes. So we're all very secretive about it. And also what happens in the church is that young people grow up totally unaware of the generosity that's happening behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. I think this is a true statement that a passion for generosity in my children over the last decade or more mm -hmm. for almost, I think it's true, every single one of them was mm -hmm. birthed at our annual missions conference yeah. when they saw the church celebrate generosity towards mm -hmm. missions. And mm -hmm. so now my kids come to me and say, hey, I've been thinking about missions conference this year. I've been thinking about how much I'm going to give. Yeah. They're doing math in their mind and they're yeah. thinking about which organizations are going to be present. Yeah. So our, our goal in celebrating generosity is to stimulate more generosity and to yeah. invite other people into that. So yeah. again, any giving that you plan to do this weekend or any giving that you plan to do over over the coming year, if you let us know that, we'll include that in the total and celebrate generosity Monday night at the banquet. Yeah. The, the giving that happens from our church far exceeds any amount that comes through us that we would see on any, sure. that we could even report or anything. And yet, uh, many of you give in very significant ways that um, has a life-changing impact on people across the world. Yeah. So we want to celebrate that as a family, as a church. Uh, so when the pledges get, get um, uh, received, if you're not going to be at the banquet and you want to fill out these, or there's a digital version online, um, which will just go automatically into the system, which works perfectly well, you can use the QR code or just look on the app. Um, so if you're not going to be at the banquet, I would encourage you to take a few and just let us know how you're planning to give over this coming year uh, so that we can kind of... And celebrate together as a family that amount. Um, I want to read uh, missionaries real quick off who are uh, here with us. Um, we have uh, Eric and Katrina Roseboom, Patrick and Molly Napier. We have um, Leslie Rohr and Lindsay Collins. Uh, we have uh, Sumana Wig uh, representing uh, her parents here. Jessica Peachling. We have Arwen Weiser with Safe Families. David and Larry Pepper with Amazon Outreach. Bill and Susan with Arctic Barnabas, also back in Homer. Rah, rah. Uh, we got Bill Pagram with Carry the Cure, as you guys heard many times already. Uh, we have Emily Price with CEF, uh, Grace Hagen representing Food Pantry. We have Jennifer Waller, um, Jill and Brian all representing Freedom House, Stephen and Esther Napier. We have Mark and Megan Gordon. We have Larry Good, Peter and Sarah Bastica. We have Dennis and Candace Wildler. Um, we have uh, Michael and Alicia Raymond. And we have uh, Leanne Dash representing Water's Edge. And they're all here. If I have said your name, would you please stand? There they are. Give, Give them, them a hand. hand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. You can take a seat. It's quite a list to get through. But you did a great job. Thank you. I feel like I did, too. Yeah, there's a few of those that are on there <laughs> that are listed uh, that are not here with us this year. People we value. They're yep. important to us. We love having them a part of uh, our conference, and um, we encourage you to connect with them, give, pray, 
go, whatever that looks like, even though they're, they're not here with us um, this year. Uh, we also have World Vision, which we have partnered with, uh, as well as Compassion, that are not listed, but they are, I know, a very significant portion uh, uh, for many of you guys that, that give and support children. Um, also, um, as you make the rounds after the service and you're encouraging them and connecting, um, you could ask for swag. Um, <laughs> I don't take bribes. Also, if they give me something, I could potentially wear it on stage, uh, but it's not a bribe. So there's that. Nice yeah. to John. Thank you. Thank you. I thought about how I wanted to phrase that. So thank you, Dennis Wilder, for uh, your sweater. It's very comfortable. I need to wash it a couple times to get it to size down. Um, for those of you who have not purchased your banquet tickets yet, uh, we have uh, tonight, Mission's Morning, then tonight we have, or sorry, tonight we have Dessert Night, which is a free event at the Spark. Yep. It's free. You should invite everyone to come to that, eat desserts, hear amazing testimony. We'll be set up at the Spark building with the tables all around. Spark is in the middle of redoing their floors, and they've done a little break in the midst of some delays to let us still use the facility, which is incredibly generous of them, and we really appreciate it. I do want to say that. Uh, tomorrow night is our banquet. That is a ticketed event. It's a meal that if you went out and purchased, it's $30 a ticket. That meal out somewhere $1, is, $1, is very expensive yeah. at market price. Yeah. It's beef tenderloin. You can look at the menu. It's absolutely fantastic. There's many dessert options that will get brought to your table. Wow. Um, so uh, sign up and buy your tickets uh, to make sure that you get your seats saved. You can do that on Church Center. You also can ask uh, for help if you're unsure um, how to do that. And that's what I got. Without further ado, yep. would you guys welcome up? The legend, David Pepper. I had someone say to me this morning, I just love Church on the Rock's missions conference. And I had to say yet again, uh, we attribute the DNA for this to uh, your investment many years even before we existed. So thank you again. Let me pray for you and we'll jump in. God, I thank you for David. I thank you for his uh, testimony of faithfulness, for his current work uh, to the unreached. Um, give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, thanks, Pastor Aaron. And hello and good morning. Church on the Rock, Homer. Man, I just love the passion, seeing the kids worshiping Jesus. And uh, we are so blessed by this church in so many ways. Your prayers, your love, your friendship, and your generosity. And really that old ancient Hebrew understanding of the word blessed means that you are empowered to succeed. And, and through all of this, you are empowering missions to succeed all over the world. And so I want to show a little video clip of one of our latest extensions of Amazon Outreach, uh, something we're calling Fishing for Missions.
So hey, we're going to be having uh, invites to people from home to come down to help build churches and drill water wells, and then you'll get a little bit of fun time to catch fish. But I want to just give a few of the testimonies from this whole area, the Yanayaku River. Uh, I was invited a few years ago to check out this village, heard that they had no church. Uh, There's no Christians in the village, but they were inquiring about uh, a church being put in their village. So I went there, met with the leaders, and found out, yeah, that we have, there's no Christians in this place, and uh, so we planned on coming back and built a relationship there with the key leaders, and this is in a wildlife preserve. Think of it like being in Denali National Park, and so we uh, go back this last year, build the church, and, uh, and you saw, let's show this, these pictures of the church and go to the next one. And that's the church we built. And then this guy, Antonio, 83 years old, I'd been working with him through the day. And Antonio and I stayed down low where we wouldn't get hurt up on the trusses, you know. And, uh, and I got to know him. And then when we went to dedicate the church, three men got saved. 83-year-old Antonio gave his life to Jesus. Yeah, we need to save the octogenarians, don't we? They don't have much time left. And he'd never prayed in his life before that moment. And then we went to dedicate the building, and, and uh, we broke up into groups and laid hands on the posts, the shungos. And there you can see, there he is, just a few minutes in Christ. And he's already a part of the family of God, doing what he can do to pray for the future of what God's going to do in that place. And so then the leaders uh, talked to us, and they said, hey, would you guys like some land here? Uh, we said, sure, and we thought they were going to give us maybe 100 meters by 100 meters. Just found out over two weeks ago, they gave us 200 by 500 meters over 20 acres uh, so we can build a campground for Mission Mepi. And the uh, first phase of that is $70,000 to build these malokas. And, um, and so just pray with us on that. So many great miracles happen out of this. The other, one other village on this river. They got upset that we were bypassing them, going to this village to do medical clinics. They came up and said, hey, actually, we have some Christians in our town. How come you're not coming here? We want to give you land to build a church in our village. So that'll be next August, uh, Fishing for Missions. We'll be going back. And so we continue to focus on making disciples, training leaders, and uh, planting churches, and then bringing the love and the grace of God. So I, I, I love this theme, Count It Worthy. And... Uh, and in the worst of times, we experience the best of God, and it changes us. How many know that love does things? Love is active. It's the way that Christianity subverted the Roman Empire. Julian the Apostate, the last emperor of the Constantine era, he wrote to one of his pagan high priests in Galatia, and in the letter, he said, we got to do something. He said, these Christians, they have charity and they have love. And he said, I'm commanding you to out-love the Christians. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they don't only just take care of their own poor, they're taking care of the poor pagan people and they treat their wives well, they treat slaves like brothers. And, but how many know that <laughs> love is not a strategy, love is from the Holy Spirit, amen? And so that's how Christianity took over the Roman Empire because love is active even when people are experiencing suffering and being persecuted, even in crushing circumstance. So we have this theme, Counted Worthy, and uh, our theme verses are from Acts chapter 5, verses 40 to 42. And just to set this up, the early church is having incredible Holy Spirit revival. I, everybody, the Bible says, at that time was getting saved. Everybody they brought was getting healed, rather, and many were getting saved. Even, the Bible says, Peter's shadow. They would bring people and lay them so that his, as, as he walked by, his shadow would touch them. And they were all healed, it says. And the church was growing. They were experiencing church growth. But in the midst of this, some of the Sadducees, the, the leaders and the high priest, they get jealous and upset. And so they throw the apostles into, into prison, but an angel comes and releases them, and they escape, and the next morning as the Sanhedrin gathers, and they go to bring the apostles out, they say, hey, they're not there, and the captain of the, of the guard can't understand why, and then somebody, there's always somebody that knows them, he says, hey, they're over there, they're, they're in the temple, and they're right there right now, preaching and teaching again, and so they go and get them, and they bring them, and this is what happens. 
They called the apostles in and they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. This is wild to me, this passage, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, for the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's just pray over these scriptures. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone that's here today. It's not by chance that you've drawn us. And Lord, I thank you for these scriptures and the few moments we have today remaining in the service. And God, I pray that you would ignite our hearts. Holy Spirit, come and do what you do best. And that's to fill us with your joy and your peace and to remove shame and sin and brokenness. And we give you all the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, Church on the Rock says, amen. amen. So in the few minutes I have, I, I want to talk about some of the qualities or formations that are in us. When Christ is in us, the hope of glory, right? And that's Christ in you. That's a plural personal pronoun. It's like in the South, we would say uh, Christ in y'all or in all of y'all, the hope of glory. And so what we do, we do together. And these qualities, a few years back, a minister friend of mine was having to, it was assigned this very same talk, topic of accomplishing the mission of God in the midst of heartache and trouble and suffering. And he shared these qualities, and I want to share these with you today. And so take your hand and reach it up and make a fist and, and squeeze down hard. If you've got an arm, do this and act like you're on fishing for missions with me and you're hanging off the bank and there's a 15-foot caiman about ready to get a hold of you. And, Say this word with me, say tenacity. It takes tenacity in the kingdom of God. It takes tenacity in the mission of God. And by the way, this isn't you or I making a better individual muscle on our own. This is nothing of us moving out from our best altruistic self. This is allowing Jesus to be amazing in you, in me. He is the hope of glory, amen? How many know that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Tenacity, John, Peter, the other apostles, they're arrested and they're demonstrating tenacity. Even these, the children are learning the, the series in Brave and uh, learning these Bible characters and stories that we can think of so many in the Old Testament. I just was considering Esther and I remember an amazing sermon uh, Brother Randy shared years ago of, about that evil law that was passed uh, uh, in the land and how all the Jewish people would be killed. But then there was a better law. There was good news sent out into all the areas, the region of the Persian Empire. But before all of that saving of the people happened, there was a Jewish girl that was abducted, one of many from all of those provinces brought through, and by the way, Xerxes, this story of Esther is not one more or one night with the king. It's not a, a love story. I mean, if there was ever human trafficking, this story is about that, where they gathered these girls, brought them in, groomed them, prepared them just for this tyrant. And I can't even go into the deviousness of, of his sexual exploits and what he would do just to kill people on a whim. And there she is in the midst of all of that. You talk about a difficult position, a difficult circumstance, and in that, the plan of God worked for the people of God to be saved. And her cousin says to her, he says, who knows but that you were born for such a time as this. And her courage rises up. And by the way, that's not a question for us because we were born for such a time as this and we have the power of the Holy Spirit. What's so tragic as I travel to churches that are uh, sponsoring churches and I'll hear this, somebody will say, is God doing anything out there today? Is anything going on with miracles and healings and, and revival? And that, that tells me that that person is living in spiritual impoverishment. And the kingdom of God is manifesting today, and they don't realize they're living in the greatest days on the earth. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to remind you today of your mission. And the mission that we have, we, we know it from Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus says to them, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. 
And then it's twin sister passage in Mark 16. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison or get injected with some kind of shot, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. There's two key realities I want to remind us of today that Jesus is wanting to communicate to his disciples in that moment as he commissions them. The first is this, that when Jesus died and he was buried underground and he resurrected, there is a, was a governmental shift, a substantive shift that, that took place at that moment. Years later, on the Isle of Patmos, John is there, and Jesus says, John, look at me. Look at me. I hold the keys of hell and death. And so we have to understand that all authority, if you're a disciple, has been given to you and to me. And they received that Holy Spirit, and they went out in boldness to do these works, even in the midst of persecution and suffering. A key reality Everything has changed. Everywhere you go as a disciple of Jesus, there is a shift that happens in those areas. As we went into the Yanuyaku, it was a place of spiritual darkness, but even as we got there, the people in darkness were drawn to the light, and you could see the goodness of God revealed. The first thing, this is authority, and you are a product of this authority. And then secondly, that there is going to be good and wonderful fruit. You are going to have success in your ministry as a disciple maker of the Lord. This isn't, oh, just a pat on the back, go out there and give it the good old college try. No, it's Jesus. He is confident in his disciples because he's going to give them the Holy Spirit that they can accomplish the mission of God even in the midst of persecution. We have an unstoppable commission, amen? Jesus says, I'm giving this to you guys today, and I've called you to be effective. And so it takes tenacity. Now take your hands and go like this with your palms up and say this word with me. Say humility. It takes humility in the kingdom of God, and I've found myself over and over again, I get taken through the Holy Spirit school of humility. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you are the one, you are uh, just a, a, a clay jar. You're the one that, that is this vessel to carry the Spirit of God. Imagine if you went to your favorite coffee shop this morning and you ordered your favorite latte or brevet or whatever it is, and as you go to have them hand that to you, the lady just pours over and just pours the coffee on your lap. You'd be like, what is going on? Are you out of your mind? You're expecting it to come in a container, right? In a cup. Or imagine if you... I know you guys probably don't do too much DoorDash yet here in Homer, but, you know, you, you get your favorite pizza place, right, to Domino's or whoever, and uh, you're on vacation, and you go to order that pizza, and, and what if uh, the guy that shows up with your pizza looks like Pastor Matt McCarter, man? He's got a beard, you know, hanging down past his chin, and, and he gets out of the vehicle, and you're watching him from the window of your house, and and he's holding the pizza, he's cradling it in his arms, and he's trying to hold it in, and his beard is brushing through the cheese, and, and it's getting stuck, and he's picking out, you know, the perfect pizza, a meat, all-meat combo with the only vegetable you need, jalapenos. He's pulling some of those jalapenos out, and then he sneezes on it, and he brings it to you and brings it up there. What would you say? What would you say? You would say, where is the box? <laughs> There's an expectation that the goodness of what you want, now the treasure, what you're desiring is in what? It's inside of the box, right? I looked up online and actually they gave this to me, praise God, it fat olives for free or I would have been out probably a buck or something, but I looked online, they're like 40 cents for a box. And, uh, but the value, the value that's given to the box comes from what is inside, amen? And so it's Christ in you, it's Christ in me. We are simply vessels for the Lord. We're simply the carriers. And so we're going to read in a few moments some more verses that Paul shares about uh, this life of suffering and how we can get through it. 
But I believe God wants to tell us, if you would just give me your box, if you would just give me your life and allow me to put my spirit in you, my love in you, my goodness in you. It's so tragic when we as Christians don't know what we possess and who dwells in us. So in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, as Paul's leading into some talking about the, the persecution that he's facing, he says, for God who said, let, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're simply jars of clay. Amen. Clay jars can be broken so easily, can't they? And maybe you're thinking, yeah, David, I'm here today, and man, the brokenness I've had in my life, even just this week, things that uh, I've done, things that are happening within me, and the brokenness, and you know, I want to show you these pictures of Kintsugi Japanese pottery. Just scroll through these. Look how beautiful these are. These is, this is all pottery clay pottery that was broken, but in the mindset of the Japanese art of repairing the pottery this way, they don't look at the broken pottery that, as just an object to be discarded, but they want the history of that to be repaired and restored, and they take uh, the lacquer and they infuse it with gold dust, and I mean, look at how beautiful that is. And I know that every one of us has experienced brokenness, that we're all a unique testimony of the grace of God, amen? Your brokenness, I want you to know your brokenness does not need to be disguised. The Holy Spirit can repair and restore every one of us, and if you're here today and you feel so hopeless, you're filled with shame, the Holy Spirit wants to have a word with you today. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. 1 Peter 5.10, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And the third thing, I want you to take your hands and go like this. I was in Nepal a few years back. I talked into doing some missions work there, passing out gospel tracts. And everywhere you go, you meet people and they'll go like this and they'll say this word namaste and that can mean different things. It can be a greeting. It can, it can be a blessing. But we would give the gospel tracts, all the school children and everybody, they would go namaste and that means thank you. Say this word with me. Say gratitude. It takes gratitude in the kingdom of God. It takes gratitude. One last story, and we're going to close with this picture on the screen. One of our evangelists, Marcos Londonio, he oversees the lower Amazon region. He came to our pastor's conference at the end of last year, and I wasn't in the early business meeting, didn't know what was going on with them. And I opened up the conference and then let the other speakers we had take the next four days. And at the end of the first night, I, I felt led to have a time just for those that needed physical healing in their bodies. and. I just had a list of every malady or illness I could think of, and a number of people came up, probably 50 or 60 of our pastors came up and read the list, and then our team gathered around. We laid hands, the Bible says, on the people that needed a touch from the Lord, and Marco's tears are just rolling down his face, and his hands are lifted up, and all of a sudden, he just starts praising God vocally and shouting, and the whole place just comes unglued. And I wasn't there. I didn't realize that just a week before he'd had a stroke and half his body was paralyzed, his face was paralyzed, and his vocal cords didn't work, and his wife didn't want him to travel to come. But he made it that far, and this picture is a few days later, and he's sharing how God has, you know, fully healed him and how he's going to continue to be a voice. And this is a man that out of all our evangelists, he constantly suffers with illness and problems and struggles. And yet in his ministry, when I just got another report, every place he goes and three people got saved there and two were healed and five children were healed of fever instantly. And, and I can't explain all that. But I know this, Marcos, he lives with this idea of gratitude for the grace that Jesus has given him. So I want you to stand with me today. 
Paul says, verses 17 and 18 of 2 Corinthians 4, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So God, I just want to pray for all of us here today. Lord, we just put ourselves in a posture with you. And Lord, we thank you for this story of Acts chapter 5. These men, these women that faced persecution and they did not stop being a voice of your gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, give us a vision. Help us see with clarity. Lord, what is before us in eternity? Lord, maybe some of us, our vision is distorted today because of things that have happened and things we've dabbled in. Lord, I, I pray it would be for us like it was in Mark chapter 8 with the man that was blind and you touched him and you said, do, do you see anything? And he said, I see men like trees walking. And then you touched him a second time. Lord, I thank you for his honesty. I thank you for him coming back and being real with you and Jesus, you are the God that will give the second touch and the third touch. So Lord, we thank you for your spirit today. Touch our eyes that we could see what you want us to see and that would be having a vision for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Oh man, such an encouragement to worship together with all of you. Hey, if, if this is your first time participating in, in the Church on the Rock Homer's Global Annual Missions Conference, I want to frame it to you this way. Think of this as a family reunion where you get to meet a bunch of cousins that you just now heard about that you've had all this time, and they're going to tell you about some other cousins who live in other places. Because we're all children of God. We're all brothers and sisters. And so link arms. So today, if you have kids in children's ministry, we would ask that you would go pick them up that you would bring them back in here, keep them with you, uh, take some time and go and visit uh, our guests that are here this morning. Tonight starts at 6.30. Come, bring your kids with you. Um, come participate over at the Spark. If you have a slot of time between 2 and 4 this afternoon where you're just planning already to be bored out of your mind, <laughs> just show up at the Spark and jump in and help us get set up over there. That would be a huge blessing to that team. Thank you, everyone, for sharing. Thank you, David, for sharing. Uh, God be with you. God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>